0: And so we, we've been going through the book of Revelation the past several weeks. We've kind of went in and out of it. Uh, Easter, we took a little bit of a, of a break from, well, not really. We, we talked about heaven, Revelation 21, but we started in chapter 1. Um, we're making our way to chapter 6 today, chapter 5, chapter 6. And so what we, we're seeing with this book is it's a very intimidating book. And it's a book I think, I, you know, I avoided for a long time because I feel like it was taken from us for, by bad teaching. You know, the one, the one way to interpret the book of Revelation wrongly is to try to interpret it by what's going on on the news and what's going on in the world. And I think what we're finding is to interpret the book of Revelation, we have to look at the rest of the Bible. And, and sometimes we can approach it as a, as a book. It, it does have a lot of, of eschatology in it, end times. Um, you know, it's a book that's kind of written past, present, and future. And we looked at that week one. Uh, that that the the writer uh, john who was on the isle of patmos he had some specific things that he wrote to those churches that existed in in time two thousand years ago but then from about chapter four on is is now it's all things in the future and they're not in order so if you if you sit down and read the book through and through one through you know chapters one you know until the end. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit confusing. It's hard to understand. Um, you know, I think it might be easier if it was in order, but, it's, but the events that John sees, the visions that, that he's given are, are not necessarily in order. And so the book is, is you know, the more that I've been reading it, and, and we went through it together as a church. If you don't have a little bookmark, we've got these cool little bookmarks that you can take home with you, and you can read the book in a week. It's just a few chapters a day. And uh, I think what we're seeing now is that this book is full of songs, there's 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 seven or eight songs in the book and we've we've been singing them some weeks Um, so there's a lot of songs in the book there's a lot of imagery and poetry in the book so John the Revelator who was a disciple pastor prophet poet and so he had many different things that he did in his life and it's pretty amazing but so so a lot of what we're reading is is poetry a lot of it is imagery so it's very vivid it's very raw and it can be intimidating but we're finding i'm finding that i think there's two things that i hope we come away with after reading this book together or going through it that you feel very encouraged as a christian and that you feel comforted as a christian that that where the world is heading is not by accident you know that god has a plan and he's written it down and he's had it from the beginning of time and so as we un, as we unfold and go through this book it's pretty Pretty amazing, what all I think that we're we're able to uncover in there. And so we're gonna start in chapter five. So last week we read all of chapter four, and it was a vision of heaven. It was a vision of worship in heaven. And it said that there were these elders and angels around the throne. It talked about this this animal, right, that had a, a lion and an ox and a the face like So it was all this, this imagery happening around the throne. But the central three the central theme last week was that God is in control, and the the word throne is used, you know, a lot in this book, but just in that chapter, it was used 12 or 13 times, and so we kind of get a glimpse of heavenly worship, of what's happening in heaven, and so all these elders and all these angels that, you know, the elders are taking their crowns off and putting them at the feet of the throne, and they're, they're, they're pointing their worship to God the Father. And so then this chapter 5 is a continuation of the same vision, but things shift. So I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. I had, I, I had a scroll for you all, but um, I can't remember where I put it. But the, so so we, we kind of, our books, there it is. Thank you, bro. Uh, this is a scroll. I didn't really quite know what a scroll was, so I needed to order one. But, uh, you know, we, so, so nowadays we, we kind of bind our books. Back then they rolled them up in scrolls. So it probably looks something like this. So there's a vision happening. Think about this. And, and God is on the, on the right hand of, on the throne and he has a scroll with writing on both sides. So that means the scroll is completely full. They wrote on the front and on the back. And it was sealed with seven seals and so this is a uh, this scroll you tie to seal it but in that day they would use like a wax seal and some of you may be familiar with that and they would kind of stamp it and so um, this particular scroll had seven seals that had it sealed shut and i saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break this to break the seals and to open the scroll but nobody in heaven Nobody on earth, and not even anybody under the earth, could open this scroll or even look inside of it. I wept, and I wept, because nobody was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. So one, one um, scholar that I was reading believed that, that the scroll that God the Father is holding was actually the deed to the entire world. And so 2,000 years ago, when you would read that and you would read about a scroll and seven seals, uh, immediately you would know that that's a type of real estate transaction. In that day, they would take, you know, if you bought a piece of property or inherited a piece of property, it would be on a scroll and it would have seven seals. And so, so one, one, uh, one guy I was reading believed that that scroll represented the world and all of humanity. And so God had it in his right hand, but nobody could open the scroll. It was kind of the destiny of of those of of us. And so John is weeping, and and maybe you've had a dream before, where something happens in your dream and, and you're you're just you know you're you're upset. And I think that's kind of what's happening with John. He's seeing this vision, nobody could open the scroll, and he wept and he wept and he wept. Verse five. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, circle that, lion. And the root of David has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb, circle that, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. So that's a, a lot of imagery, a lot going on there. But here we have John the Revelator. He sees God the Father holding a scroll in his right hand. It's filled from top to bottom. And so I, you know, I, I have to believe that this scroll is important. And, and John is vexed because nobody, no prophet, no priest, no pastor, no one could, could understand what's going on. And I think it could even be more of a like, what, what's happening in history and what's going on in the future? So John was troubled and he didn't know. But then there's this vision of of one. The elder speaks up and he he gives three attributes. He he calls this person by three distinct names, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and then a lamb. And so what do those things have in common? What are those things? Is there any connection between a, a lion and a lamb? Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard the songs or the verse that heaven is a perfect place, and it's so perfect that it's a place where the, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. And there's no, going to be no more pain, going to be no more hurting, no more, no more bloodshed. It's a perfect place. But here is John, he's having this, this vision, he, and there's this one person who can take the scroll, scroll and he, he can make sense of life. He can make sense of the history of the world. He can make sense of where the world is going, and this scroll he's able to open. And I found out after doing a little more digging that in that day that, you know, if you were buying a piece of property, it would be on something like this. It would have seven seals. But if you sold that property and you wanted to come back and get that property later down the road, somebody in your family could come back and get that property, and they called it redeeming it. And so if you had sold a piece of property, if you did that in the last, I don't know, five years, you're probably regretting that now in Florida, right? In Pensacola, don't you wish you could go back and say, hey, it was mine first. I think I want it back now. Well, 2,000 years ago, they did that. And so a family member could come back, and if they, they had the right credentials, it could show they were part of the family. They could redeem that property back. So there's this person that arises, this imagery, and I want to just talk about very briefly the lion and the lamb. He's not just a regular lion. He he calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that comes from Genesis 49. Again, the book of Revelation, the only way to interpret it that I'm finding is is a lot of it's in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read it to you, just two verses. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You're a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and he lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will never depart from Judah. That means leadership. The, the, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. until he, To whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Thousands of years ago, the writer is talking about the moment that we just read about. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, so just just, very, just entertain me for a second. My, my son, he's six years old. He just turned six last week, and uh, he is just a, he's amazing. I, I love it. And uh, one of the things that he could do before he could talk was make lion sounds and, and different animal sounds, right? Did your children do that? He couldn't say ten words, but he knew what a lion said. All right? what does a lion say? That's pretty good. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, so that was his favorite one to say. And So just, let's just talk about lions and lambs for a second, because it seems to me to be a paradox. What does a lion and a lamb have in common? Lions roar, right? What do lions eat? Whatever they want. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they do whatever they want. They can eat whatever they want. They eat crocodiles, other lions, um, ox. Like, they can, they're the king of the jungle. They eat they, whatever they want. Where do, where do lions live? They live wherever they want to live, right? So, you know, for the most part, in their in their domain, they are the top. And there's, there's sort of a few things I believe that lions represent in our life. That you know, lions number one. Lions lead. They're known as the. I said it once, but they're known as the king of the jungle. They're the top of the totem pole. Nobody messes with lions in the animal kingdom. They kind of can do what they want. They find what you know. They see something they want. They take it. And so, lions, I think, represents leadership. And, and, and so when, when we see this vision of, of, of Jesus, that he's a lion and a lamb, there's a side of Jesus that he, I think he's the most incredible leader that ever lived. You know, some of his recruiting methods, he recruited like a lion. He'd walk up to somebody, you know, Simon Peter, and say, Hey, drop your nets, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher, a fisher of men and just walk off. And they followed him. Why? Because... He was a lion, right? You do what a lion says, don't you? I mean, if a lion tells you to follow it, you follow it. Like, you know, but, but, but a lion is a, is a natural l- leader. He, he, not only that, Jesus approached, there was a few places where we see Jesus approach things as a lion. He gets aggressive. One of them is at the grave of Lazarus. Where he shows up, and he'd been dead a few days, and his 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 family's upset that Jesus, Pastor Jesus, didn't make the the hospital visit, the viewing, or the funeral. It's been four days, and and, and they come out and say, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he it says he gets to the grave of Lazarus, and he let out a a, a, like, a like just a it says he's just a cry. But in, but in the Greek, it, it means like a roar. It, it means to snort like a roar horse. So there were things that Jesus got mad at. There were things, and one of them was death. He, he, there were things where Jesus was just, just he was, he was aggressive. The second thing that lions do is they protect. Lions protect. I didn't know this, but uh, you know, a pride of lions, there's only one male if another male comes around, they're, they're, they're going to fight to the death. There's only one male. So if you see 10, 20, 30 lions, there's one male. The rest of them are cubs and, li- you know, lionesses. I think that's the word. And, uh, and, and, and so it's pretty spectacular to me that the lion, his main job is not to provide. He protects. The lionesses do all hunting. I didn't know that. And, and, and so we see this side of, this, of, of Jesus, that he's a leader, but he's also a, a protector. John 17, verse 12, the, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus says, While I was with them, talking about his, his, his disciples, I, I protected them. I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. See, lions will fight when they have to. Lions will protect what, what they believe is theirs. Lions will, will do what they need to do to make sure their family is taken care of. And the last thing the third thing a lion does is a lion it, it really represents co- conquering a lion's a conqueror he goes out right he's the king of the jungle if he sees a, a something that he wants he he takes it if he sees territory he wants they, he fights for it and so we see this beautiful picture of of, of jesus not only you know as, as a lion as someone who who goes out john chapter 2 let me read this to you Jesus seen that the temple where his, you know, his father's house had been turned into what he called a den of thieves. He said, my house is, should be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a place of, of merchandise. And I want you to see what he does. He gets mad again. He puts together a whip out of strips of leather. And he chased everybody out of the temple, right? now, that's a, He made a weapon, y'all, all right? And he showed up at the temple. But I want you to see the two times Jesus becomes a lion. It's against death and it's against religious male leaders. Who loved Jesus? Children. The down and out. The broken. The poor. They weren't intimidated by Jesus. But there was a side of Jesus that you didn't want to be on. And so we see this beautiful imagery here of jesus as a lion and then we see this other part where he says he's referred to in revelation 5 as a lamb now the rest of the book of revelation over 14 times jesus is referred to as a lamb not a lion not you know he could i mean there's lots of names for jesus but but the lamb that that name seems to be the one that is the most consistent through the book so let's i'm going to try this again on you like like I'm, I'm talking to asa my son and so what sound does a lamb make it, 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 it bleeds right right is that, it, it bleeds it makes a weak little don't mess with me sound right it doesn't you know so what does a lamb eat Grass. It's a vegetarian, right? It would be. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, not, no, I'm not knocking against. I'm not knocking vegetarians. So, so, so it, it, it bleeds. It eats nothing but vegetables. And where does a lamb live? Nowhere. Lambs are one of the only, this is crazy. Lambs are one of the only animals that if you drop a lamb off at Fort Pickens, that lamb will die in the, in the woods. They don't know how to find fresh water they don't know how to find food they are completely dependent upon their shepherd and so lambs you know if if what if a lamb is approached or you know if a lamb gets in a fight you know what a lamb does it runs You know, it's the opposite of a lion. It's crazy to me. And so a lamb basically is a vegetarian that doesn't have a home and a pacifist. So lambs are hippies, basically, is what we're saying. So so lambs just roam around and eat grass and do what they're told, and they don't really want to fight. Lions are the opposite. They are fierce. They are furious. Nobody tells them what to do. They're the king of the jungle. If they see something they want, they take it few things about a lamb. Lambs follow. That's what they do. That's the only way they can survive. They got to have a shepherd. They got to have somebody that's looking out for them. It, 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 it's amazing to me that I, I think we talk a lot about leadership and I love leadership, but I'm, I'm finding that in life the greatest leaders are first the greatest followers. And we look at the life of Jesus as a lion, but I want you to see him for a moment as lamb. Because he would say things like this, John chapter 5, verse 19. Verily I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does so he's a lion and he's an alpha and he he does what he needs to do but we're finding that there's a part a side of jesus where he's following the commands of his father he would disappear all the time the disciples didn't know what he was doing he's praying again right they'd always say he's somewhere praying and and we know what he was doing he was getting the download from his father he was he, he needed what was he needed the bread for the next day right he needed his daily bread he needed even Jesus needed this in his life that he didn't lead his own life he was a follower first the lion of the tribe of Judah was also a follower he also knew that there was times in his life where maybe he didn't have the answers and he didn't know what to do so so lambs follow the second thing lambs do is they provide lions protect but lambs are known for what they give their wool their meat other things of that nature they they are their providers and we see this in the life of jesus we see this one of the one of the first things that is spoken over jesus when john the baptist and he's coming down to be right to the river jordan he says behold the lamb of god who does what he provides salvation for the whole world Also in Philippians 4 verse 19 says, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. He's a a provider. And the last thing about lambs, how do they really, how do they live their lives? Well, they're, they're very submissive. They submit. They know in order to stay protected. They know in order to stay fed and to stay nourished. They've got to do what their shepherd tells them to do. And so we see these two animals, and they're like exact opposites. Exact opposites. And so what does that mean for me and you? What does that mean for our lives? And here we are on Mother's Day, talking about lambs and lions. Because I, I think that we have the tendency, I know that I do, to either be on one side or the other. Right? you know i'm a i'm a lion i'm an alpha right i want to i'm going to i'm going to get what i need to get I, i'm through self discipline through hard work like some people are just natural born lions that's the way that they live their life that's the way that they you know and i think at times god calls us to be lions at times god calls us to protect at times moms you know God calls us to to mama bear's got to come out. come on somebody right you know that, that lion comes out where, where somebody messes with my baby and I'm going to take care of them right I'm, I'm going to protect and, and, and so there's times men where we're called to be lions, for our family, for You know whatever God has called us to do, He's 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 called us out of a place of comfort where we have to be the first to go, and we have to see danger before others. That we're called to be lions in certain situations, and I think that some people just lean to one side or the other. That that if you you if we could just draw a line and say, "All all the lions get on the right, all the lambs get on the left. But then there's times in our life where God calls us to be lambs. There are times in our life where God calls us to follow. There are times in our life where God, God calls us to be silent through things that we're facing. There are times in our life where God calls us to sacrificially provide for those that we love. There are times in our life that we get to the point where acting like a lion, you can fake it till you make it all you want, but if you're a lamb with a, with a lion costume on, it ain't going to work, right? There are times where we just have to just submit and know, okay, God, uh, your ways are higher than mine. I don't know what you're doing, but I, I've just, I, I need to know. I, I, need the, I need the next step in my life. And we have to submit to what life brings to us or what God may have us facing. And so what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to think about things in your life and think about maybe just situations that you're facing and are there areas of your life where God's calling you to be a lion? To step up and speak out for someone? To protect? Are there areas of your life where maybe you little, little, got a little too much roar? People are scared of you? I'll never forget staying the night with one of, my, one of my friends in elementary school. And before we would go home, he would call his mom and ask what kind of mood his dad was in. Because we were afraid to walk through the living room. He was. And his dad was such a lion. He was a fire chief. He was an alpha. He was in the military a long time. Then retired and became a, a you know, fire chief. And everybody in his life did what he said. But his son was scared of him. I was scared of him. I think there's, there's times in our life where, where, where we got to have a balance. But then there's situations, you know, where, where maybe we're being too quiet and we're not doing what God's calling us to do and people are taking advantage of, of you or they're taking advantage of your family and you need to step up and say something. And I think when it comes to the life of Jesus, he was both. He was a lion and he was a lamb. He was gentle. You know, the, 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 the number one emotion attached to Jesus in the New Testament is compassion. It said when he seen the crowds, he was moved with compassion. When he seen the woman caught in adultery, he was moved with compassion. You know, the lion didn't come out in those moments. It was compassion, it was mercy, it was grace. And one thing I know, for a lion to be a lamb, it takes great humility. All you natural born lions out there that are ready to charge hell with a squirt gun on a tricycle. For 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 a lion to be a lamb, it takes humility. It, it's 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 power restrained. It's I, I could ground you for the rest of your life. I could take every freedom you got away. You know, like come on, you, you, but I'm not I'm not going to. And for a lamb to be a lion, that just that would seem silly. But for a lamb to be a lion, it takes great courage. It takes getting out of your comfort zone. It takes doing what you weren't born to do. And I think for me, we're going to take communion together today. But before we do, the person that did that the most for me in my life, 100%, was my mom. Because she was a lion and she fought for me and my, my brother when nobody was there to fight for us, it was just her. And then when we'd get in trouble, she was a lamb. She probably should have called the police <laughs> you know, several times. Uh, you know. But, but it's, instead, we got mercy. When we'd get hurt, she was a lamb. When we'd hurt someone else, she was a lion. She was what we needed. And I think we're gonna find ourselves in life, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, if you're a born lion or a born lamb, you're gonna find places in your life that are gonna test you. We're so bad you wanna fight, but God's saying, nope. And then in times in your life where you're intimidated and you wanna run, and God's saying, go. Humility and courage, I don't believe are things that we can tap into our own self and get. We got to find a source outside of ourselves. And the greatest source of humility and courage is the lion and the lamb. Augustine said it like this He was such a lamb that he let him crucify him. But he was such a lion that he defeated death, hell, and grave in the process. He was the lion and the lamb. And in your life, you're going to be faced with situations where you need to be a lion and you need to fight for those that don't have a voice. You need to protect those that can't protect themselves. But then you're going to be placed in a position of authority where it'd be really easy just to clothesline everybody and just say, I'm going to take all you out. <laughs> and God says, No, you need to humble yourself. And I think if we can look at the life of Jesus, he was a lion. In heaven and he humbled himself and it says that he came down and took on the form of a man and he got eye level with us and he walked for 30 something years like this humiliated humbled nobody really knew who he was everybody was you know wanted a second with him but they didn't quite know what his message was or and where he came from but he had to humble himself to do what God had called him to do but now, in the book of Revelation, we're reading about, because of that humility, that there's going to come a point in time where he's going to be a lion again. <laughs> and he's going to return as that. And so I want you to do this. if you've, you've got the communion right there next to you in your seat. And so we're going to take communion together. And I, I, just, I, I want you, as you're getting that ready, I want you to just, in your mind, Holy Spirit, where in my life do I need to be more like a lion? And where in my life do I need to be more like a lamb? So go ahead and, and take that, that little, that bread off the top and we're going to take it together and you can just hold it if you're outside. If you, if you need communion, just wave your hand. So we're just, I want you just to take that bread. There's two little pills that you can, the first one, the bread comes out off the top there and So communion is something that we don't do, uh, you know, often as a church, but it's special because at the communion table, miracles happen. At the communion table, what you need that maybe you haven't been able to get for so long and you've tried everything you know to try, that that just could be in this moment right now when we're taking communion that God provides. It's a reminder that we have a lamb that was provided for us, but it's also a reminder that we have a lion who who can inject us with courage when we desperately need it, who can inject us with strength when we're so weak. And so just take that bread and I want to pray over it. Father, we thank you so much for this, for the bread. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you that you left heaven as a lion and you came down here as a lamb and that your body was broken. And that with your broken body, according to Isaiah 53, we are healed. And that from your brokenness and through your brokenness, we can be made whole. What a miracle. What a promise. Lord, we thank you. You can take the bread. And then it says on the night that he was the night before he went to the cross they were having he was having dinner with his friends at the upper room and he took the cup and he he gave him a little sermon he said this cup it's a new contract new covenant i'm making with you and the new covenant's like not like the old covenant the old covenant was made in the blood of animals and goats and sheep and but this covenant it's written by my sacrifice and so we are a church that believes that God is able to heal. And we're a, a church that believes that God is able to, to work miracles. And, and, and a reason why I, you know, we don't take commun- uh, communion every week is because it's something that's holy and it's special. And it's moments like this where we come together and we're thinking about the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for us. It's when we really see the power of God in our lives. So I want you just to just take that cup. We're going to pray over it. Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you that you became weak so that we can have strength when we need it. God, we thank you that you poured yourself all out like a drink offering so that we could receive life, so that we could receive hope, so that we could receive what we need in this life that we're journeying through. God, help us never to take it for granted. God, help us to, to, re- to remember that there's power in this blood. That you said in, in, in Revelation that they overcame the world by the blood of the Lamb. This cup right here has power for us to overcome the obstacles in our lives that we all have. And so, Lord, we come to you, and we just say thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can take the cup.